Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode 57 of the Global Geek News Podcast. Uh, yeah, that is the right number. And as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? It's it's going. Things are going well. Got some. Uh, it's the beginning of a new new month, which is good. So we're almost a third through the year. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm liking the start of this month so far. Let's see. I have the first cold I've ever had in my life. Um, just found out about an hour ago. I have and the somebody coming over to do an appraisal on the house for uh, property taxes or whatever. So I'm in the middle of scrambling to get everything cleaned up and got loads of school. Plus I got all kinds of stuff I need to get taken care of before I head to mix in two weeks. And this is going to be a real hectic month, I think. Yeah. Same here. I got South by that I'm prepping for, uh, tons of work and products to release. Um, I found out today that, uh, we gotta, we gotta make beta by Friday. (laughs) Ah, uh, and which product is that? Uh, one I can't talk about, but anyway. <laughs> ah, but but uh, yeah, the fun kind. But yeah, we got to make beta by Friday. So uh, if you have seen me do some testing on Twitter <laughs> using this product, uh, you can kind of you know do some you know some some. I saw a couple of work. yeah test tweets or whatever last week. I wasn't too sure quite what that was about, but I did kind of notice where it was coming from. Yeah. So I've been I'm working on that product. So that's got to make beta. Ah, is this going to be a public beta or a private? Private, internal, oh. private. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Well, not if. <laughs> All right, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a bunch of stories tonight, and we're since we are both a little on the busy side tonight we're going to make this hopefully a little bit shorter of a show so if you're looking for a short show this should be it hopefully but anyway don't forget you can always follow along on the show notes at globalgeeknews.com don't forget to check the blog globalgeeknews.com/blog hopefully i'll actually get to writing something on that this week for the first time in weeks but anyway Let's go ahead and start right off with the first story, which is apparently one-third of Americans don't have fast internet. Yeah, I remember that there was a controversy back in the day about what was considered uh, broadband. Um, so, uh, with the proliferation of wireless networks and all that, I can understand the, the, the heart of this is just people don't find it's worth it to pay more to get faster service. Yeah, I, I don't know... It, I was kind of surprised by this, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense with when we see charts and stuff comparing America's connectedness to other countries like Korea or Japan or Norway or whatever, when they have more connected people that have like 100 megabit internet connections that I'm extremely jealous of. Mm -hmm. But I'm amazed with all the stuff that we have now, all the social networks, the video streaming sites, that there's still 93 million Americans that don't have broadband internet of any kind. They're either on dial-up or they have no internet, period. I think Americans are getting increasingly frustrated for those who want higher speeds and just can't get it. Uh, I'm hoping that with Google's push to make broadband more... uh, more of a case study and use it as a as a model to point to of what's possible with extreme high speeds that that could inspire the demand uh, to for people to to request it or demand it more from their ISPs. Well, this is one of the reasons I've kind of been a big pusher of technologies like WiMAX is that they can co- cover these huge areas with really fast speeds so that you implement these in maybe more rural parts of the country, and then you can get a lot more Americans with faster than dial-up or at least some kind of internet, period. Right. But the question is, do rural Americans want it, and how much would they be willing to pay? Um, The big... I mean, uh, can it be monetized effectively for it to be a good business case? If if we're... Well, I mean, I, don't we already pay like 
or haven't the hasn't the government paid ISPs for build out to help for this in the past, and it just has not been done? Uh, I think the government just needs to request that that money actually be used the way it was intended, and demand that. I think the the goodwill of the government towards these companies has uh, expired, and we need to make sure that they do what they're told. Yeah, from what I can recall, essentially, they gave the money to them, said, here, we recommend that you build out these networks. Money was never really spent for that. They just kind of pocketed it and went on. Mm-hmm. And as to where most of it was never really spent for upgrades or um, making giving themselves a wider area of service or anything like that. It was just kind of a, oh, hey, we've been given tens of millions of dollars. Let's go have a party. Exactly. So if, if they just decided to do that with uh, a third-party company um, that was not, maybe a non-profit even, if there was a non-profit organization whose goal is to try to connect Americans with higher-speed connections, I mean, that would be something that I think they could get wide adoption for. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be more accountability, especially when the government gives them funds to do something like that. There needs to be more accountability for where the money goes and what it's actually invested in. Yep, I agree. But speaking of surveys and and the number of Americans that are on the Internet, apparently more Americans are now getting their news from the Internet than they are newspapers or radio. Yeah, um, it's just that the, I read the story and it's saying that about, what does it say, 60, 61% of Americans get at least uh, some of their news online. It's hard not to get news online. Uh, try to be online and not see a news story or hear something, hear something breaking come across from any website you're on. And uh, you're just going to only a select few of walled off sites if if you're managed to avoid it, um, if you use Google, you see you see the 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 Google thing change. You want to say, oh, what's going on? Why are they showing speed skaters? Oh, maybe because the Olympics is going on. You click that, you get results from the Olympics. It's it's almost uh, especially when you think about factory shipped computers that default to Yahoo, default to MSN. All of these are just news just from just launching your browser. Um, so I'm actually a little surprised that this is as low as it is. Yeah, that, that actually wasn't so much the number that um, surprised me so much. I mean, they're comparing the 61% that get some of their news from the Internet to 54% that listen to news radio or, yeah, radio news, mm-hmm. and 50% that reads whether it some kind of a newspaper, whether it's national or local or whatever. But what really surprised me was... The numbers of people that, I believe it's uh, like 37% that actually reported news or commented on a story or shared it on sites like Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. You thought it was too high or too low, the 37%? I thought it was a little on the high side. Really? To an extent it makes sense. I don't know. I don't like kind of how that's all lumped into one thing. Yeah, yeah, the the breakdown, uh, more granular breakdown of that 37%. Because comment on a story, I mean, you can comment on a story on Facebook. Yeah. So I say, someone could post pictures of the Haiti earthquake, and someone could comment and say, oh, wow, that those are some awesome pictures, or those are some, you know, you know, terrifying pictures or something like that. That's commenting on a news story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and at the same time, it says 75% of... and. This is coming out of the Pew Internet and Life Research uh, Project or whatever, my favorite research project. But apparently 75% of people that responded also said that they get their news through email and social networking sites. Neither of those are anywhere I ever go for news. I mean, once in a while I'll get some news from Twitter, or and in a real great while I'll... Or once in a real great while I'll get it from Facebook or something, and I never get it through email. Well, the question is whether they consider uh, getting at something through email. I mean, some people subscribe to newsletters. Um, some people get their RSS feeds via email. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, True, but I don't think very many people even use RSS, or less get their RSS through their email. Mm-hmm. 
But then again, I, I'm a little bit RSS crazy myself. You there? Uh, hello? You hear me? Now I can. Okay, sorry. My, my, I was talking to an unplugged mic. Ah. I would say my mom would be someone who would be more comfortable getting an email and just getting it summarized for her instead of going trying to find everything. Yeah. Uh, it was, she would subscribe to maybe CNN Breaking News or something like that, and that's how she would get her, e- uh, her news, just when she got to it. Yeah, see, years ago I used to do that with um, MSN. I used to get email alerts sent to my MSN messenger, and I would also get links sent to my inbox. But it's just gotten to the point where anymore I don't like being in my inbox any more than I have to. I'll mm-hmm. go there to um, sometimes for like online sales that I'll get stuff from like Newegg or Tiger Direct or whatever. Right. Usually I anymore I tend to try and use email just for business. Basically, if somebody needs a reply, that's well not maybe not the best way to contact me, but that's if you need a longer reply, that's the we- best way to do it. But otherwise, I don't care to get all this stuff, whether it's news or joke email or right. whatever, all that stuff just goes straight in the trash. Yeah, but you remember when you first got on the internet, that's kind of what you did, right? And some people just don't ever graduate from that and move forward. And, yeah. Uh, and well, in my I case, think, that was back in the dial-up days, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, my mom is still there, and I don't know if she'll ever graduate. I don't think she wants to graduate. She likes it simple. She likes to... Uh, she gets excited when she gets more than one email a day you know <laughs> she checks yeah. email when she expects something and that's about it i mean yeah yeah uh usually i only go into my email if there's something i need to respond to immediately and then usually i'll catch up on other emails at the same time but anyway there's tons of other statistics and stuff in there that's worth checking out so don't forget to check out that story in the show notes but on to our next story. Apparently, the EU is telling Google that it has to warn cities by running ads or whatever, locally or nationally, that they're sending in street view cameras into areas of Europe. Yeah, they also said that they can't retain, they should uh, shorten their retention from one year to six months on posted photos. Uh, and that, to me, that sounds like the opposite of what's intended uh, because people are worried about worried about uh, being caught uh, uh, doing something while the camera's going by or um, uh, burglars using it as a service to rob their house. But if I was a robber, I would prefer a more updated photo instead of of one that was done every year, something that was done every six months. That would be my preference. So... I think that's anti to what the nature of what they're intending to say that retention of the photos should be. As far as a robber, I just use pleaserobme.com. Yeah, that's an awesome service. <laughs> yeah, that, if you haven't checked that out, check out pleaserobme.com. It's a interesting little thing for all these people that are using all these different uh, geolocation apps. Basically, whenever they check in somewhere or they say that they're leaving their house or whatever, it posts their so that way, if you want to go rob them, you know they're not home. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the thing that really um, confuses me about this story is that they're saying that they can't retain the images, or they don't want them to retain the images more for more than six months. Now, these are the images that have not been altered. But when they go up on the Google uh, Maps Street View website thing, they are, they've all been altered. They've got all the um, license plates blocked, faces have been blurred out, stuff like Uh that. So why they're even keeping the unaltered images, I'm not real sure of in the first place. Well, they said they're required to, right? I don't know if they're necessarily required to. They they said they have a legitimate business purpose for keeping them. That's legitimate and justified was the term that they used. But I don't think... Yeah, it says, and its practice of keeping original unblurred pictures for a year in case complaints was disappropriately, uh, disappropriate. So, disappropriate. So, someone complain, they take it down off the website, but if they want to bring it back up, they need the, you know, the raw footage to re-alter it or unalter something that wasn't, that was already altered. Yeah. 
yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, I I don't can't think of a particular case where somebody would go back to him and say, "Hey, you shouldn't have blurred out this, but you did." Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we can go and put it up, but I don't see that it really makes that much of a difference. Uh, well, if it's a statue, maybe. Yeah. Well, and if they're doing it every six months, there's going to be in a car that'll have to go back around in six months anyway. Yeah, sure. Oh well. Uh, the um, one of the things is that I, I wonder if what I read is as vague as what it was communicated to Google, because uh, they said they have to notify the area, but they, did they say how far in advance? Uh, I believe you have to give. They were saying uh, no. I guess it doesn't say how much in advance. It just they says that they have to. Um, give advance notice in local or national press before taking the pictures. Yeah, and also, how finite of an area do you have to give it? Like, for instance, during the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. if they came out with a commercial saying, hey, we'll be in your area taking pictures, would that suffice? Well, I know you can find out. There's ways to find out where they're going to be and when, because yeah. there's a number of cases on Street View where there's people that know that the car is going to be coming by, so they're standing out on the side of the street holding up a sign for their website or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they have a picture in the article, apparently two guys sitting in their driveway or whatever in scuba gear waiting to chase the Street View car down the street with what looks like some kind of a pitchfork. Yeah. Uh, uh, a triton of some sort. <laughs> yeah, it looks rather strange They've got the fins on and everything. They're just charging down the street after the street view car. Well, I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, I would want people to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I would go to Google Maps just so I could see stuff like that. Yeah, so would I. There need. I don't know if there is, but there needs to be a site dedicated to strange stuff that you find on Google Maps or Google Street View or whatever. I think there is. At least, I mean, there was before. I've seen it before, but yeah, I mean, th- this law is very vague. This is you must give notice. So I can do a national spot and say, I will be in your area. Uh, so and, so it was, is that enough notice? I guess. And is that, enough, if, if that the right area, saying the whole entire country? I mean... Yeah, that, that seems to be a little bit vague. I mean, if they have a fleet of cars, which I know they do, but descending mm-hmm. on every town in the country all in one or two days or something like that, then giving notice to an entire country is kind of pointless. What I would do if I was Google and I wanted to be a smartass, I would say, hey, we'll be in your area. Please sign up for the service and we'll alert you within and let them set up, okay, I need at least three months notice you know, this is, and, and this is where I live. And it would just give more data to Google. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the smart way of doing it. Yeah. But speaking of goofy things over in Europe, apparently there's – a new law trying or a new bill that's trying to be passed into the law into the UK called the Digital Economy Bill where they're trying to outlaw open Wi-Fi. Well yeah, what this is saying is that basically that um, there will be no immunity for universities, small businesses and for libraries who have open Wi-Fi and the users are doing illegal activity like PDP file sharing um, of uh, copyrighted material. But the question is uh, don't they? Uh, this is also in the UK, so I understand that they won't be exempt or have amnesty. But I personally don't think they should have amnesty. I, th- I think that they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law of the crimes they commit. That being said, they're not committing any crimes for having open Wi-Fi. The people who use it to commit crimes are the ones. So I don't see how this is even an issue because. Don't you have to prove, like, wrongful intention or that someone did something negligible? And if someone's using someone else's Wi-Fi, that's still the other person who's at fault who did the copyrighted, downloaded the copyrighted material. Yeah, and and that's an argument that's been tossed around in court a few times. I don't know necessarily how well it's held up. I know that there's a... Um, one, oh, I think it's in the Supreme Court in Norway, and I think we even talked about it a few weeks ago, where there's a big secrecy around 
the whole I some case regarding whether an IP address identifies a person or an account, mm-hmm. and that somebody else's supposedly downloaded copyrighted material on somebody else's open Wi-Fi or whatever, and it's some big hush-hush thing that everything is sealed, nobody knows what's going on, anything like that. But, yeah, it's hard to figure out who it did, who's who's who did that, mm-hmm. but you still have to do it. I mean, yeah, do the due diligence, find out who actually did it. And just because this makes your job harder, that doesn't make it illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in the end, it's still kind of hard to figure that stuff out. I mean, people can, like, spoof their MAC address and all kinds right. of stuff. And if it's so. a coffee shop, like a, they're saying small business is like a coffee shop, I could buy a latte, pay cash, get a Wi-Fi key, and still do something illegal and still be totally, you know, anonymous. So yeah. uh, if you're going to do something illegal... Somebody is going to do something illegal. This is just a small hiccup that's just is going to affect more people than it's going to do what good. Yeah, this is basically going to screw all kinds of small businesses and stuff that are using free Wi-Fi to bring in customers. It's going to hurt their... Um, oh, I just had it now. I can't, even think, I can't think of the term. Tourism. There we go. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt the tourism and everything else and basically it's wanting to classify everybody that apparently has a Wi-Fi hotspot or whatever as either a subscriber or an ISP. If you're a subscriber, you can be sued for whatever um, is downloaded onto your or from your account. So if you're a coffee shop, you're a subscriber and someone downloads a song off of your Wi-Fi you can be sued or have your Wi-Fi or your internet access cut off. Mm-hmm. If you're an ISP, then you have to, if or if you declare yourself as an ISP, you have to log all of the information of the customers or the people that uses the Wi-Fi, all their identifiable information, so that should they download something and you get sent a subpoena or whatever for it, you have to reveal those details of who that person was so that they can forward the lawsuit alongside along that person. Yeah. Next we're gonna say you can't use you can't use WEP, you have to use WPA two because WEP is easily crackable and somebody can crack in. So you have to use something more secure. When does it end of telling them how far they need to go? Well what I'm wondering is just how um restrictive this is because it doesn't mention anything about WEP or WPA or whatever. I'm wondering if like these small businesses or whatever that if they said, okay, we'll lock down our internet so that we don't have to um, play by these rules, yet they go and maybe plaster their web Web key key. along the um, storefront of their business so that anybody can get access to it, technically it's not an open access point. It's just everyone has access to the key. Yeah, that's Uh, good. Yeah, I've seen people do that. Yeah, so I mean, at this point, I don't see why that couldn't be done with this law, but I don't, I don't know. I I've got a feeling that somehow this law probably won't pass, or if it is, then the people in the UK are a bunch of idiots, at least the people that are in power. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very hard to prosecute, and of course, if it does pass, it's going to be challenged in court, and we'll see if uh, if it'll survive, even if it gets that far. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the internet, apparently the U.S. government is ending its hands-off-the-internet stance. Yeah, right now they're um, trying to police over uh, uh, some sort of policy uh, about how the internet should be maintained and governed and uh, how we sh- how uh, it should handle uh, privacy, child, child protection, cybersecurity, copyright protection, and all that kinds of good stuff. Yeah, essentially they're going to start working with other government agencies, um, other foreign governments, the RIAA, the MPAA, AFP, all those kind of people to essentially screw us all over. Yeah, of course, I mean, this is just policy, but um, I don't see that this ever gets... I mean, knowing how far... 
dealing dealing with anyone who is computer savvy and on the internet, and when you try to attack that group, that group, our group, is extremely vocal. So if something like that was trying to go go down in the United States, um, I think uh, there would be a huge public uproar. And with the fascination of the media with Twitter and Facebook, um, that stuff will f- would spread like wildfire and be pu- picked up by mainstream media in no time. Mm-hmm. Well, and at the same time, this is kind of largely yeah. the opposite of what the FCC's proposing with their net neutrality rules. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if they'll be one of the governmental bodies that they'll be working with on this. Yeah, I would assume so to an extent. I, I don't know. It, it seems like there's kind of a little bit of a flip-flopping on here as far as originally Obama was like, oh, I'm all in favor of uh, net neutrality and leaving the Internet alone and stuff. Now we have all this where they're trying to cover up whatever their real reasons are by saying things like child pornography, cybersecurity, and copyright protection. And yet... At, when he first got into office, he put in uh, Julius Janikowski, who's been fighting for this uh, net neutrality, and now he has his assistant secretary, Larry Strickling, from apparently the Department of Commerce, now saying the exact opposite. Yeah, they're... Uh... They're obviously confused, but I think they're caving into uh, their constituents, as in how some of this should be explored. And I think that this is just exactly what's going to happen. They're going to explore this. They're going to see how hard it is to try to uh, work this out and make it accepted. And um, I think this is just going to die. This is this is just not going to be, be. This is not going to work because once you're talking censoring and once you're talking about censoring a country, that's a slippery slope that. Is not going to be recoverable and and not is not going to be fit for every case, and it's just going to cause problems. So something like this will never pass. Yeah, this is going to cause a whole lot more harm than it'll do good. But I've got a feeling that maybe the RIAA and if and the MPA have bought themselves a position in the White House. Yeah, but and I'm wonder if uh, it's like this EU law. If what they're thinking about would be. Um, the ACTA disconnect provisions. So this is one of the news stories about ACTA. There have been quite a few over the past week or two or three, just various different leaks about ACTA. Well, apparently the EU has no intention of going along with the whole disconnect provisions that are being talked about in ACTA or the three strikes law that they're wanting to try and sneak in right and that and france currently has the three strikes law is that correct yeah as far as the eu is concerned they're leaving um the whole three strikes things to the countries themselves but as far as the eu goes they won't legislate that they're going to require people to be disconnected from their internet yeah and this is a huge win and uh hopefully um Hopefully, other countries will start watching this and realizing how um, how if the people who want to be part of the EU uh, will follow the the EC's uh, lead and try to um, be more conformative to this law or the lack thereof uh, around the world. Uh, we don't need more three strikes laws, and this is just a way of saying saying that um, that the EU agrees disagrees with it. Yeah, this is just more evidence that yeah, that ACTA is slowly falling apart more and more, which if you've seen some of the leaks lately, that's kind of becoming fairly obvious, and you get a whole lot more of a sense of what all's behind this and everything. It's us- I think it usually seems to be Slashdot that keeps up on this stuff the best, which is where I grabbed this story. So right. if, if I'd say add Slashdot or whatever to your RSS feed if you want to Keep a good eye on what's going on with ACTA and everything. Yeah, and become the 61% of Americans who get their news online. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of other good sites to go to as well. I believe the EFF, I'm sure, is one, and Ars Technica to an extent. But those are probably some of the best for keeping up on stuff like this. 
But speaking of crazy laws... <laughs> Back to U.S. Yeah, apparently the U.S. lawmakers are now looking at setting their sights on peer-to-peer programs. Yeah, they're saying that basically there should be disclosure onto, you know, if you're installing this program, you should be allowed, uh, you should be notified that you're installing a P2P program. If you're sharing files, you should be notified that you're sharing files. I don't know of any legitimate P2P program that doesn't do that, that doesn't re- report, report, hey, you're sharing these folders and you're installing this software. The ones that don't are probably viruses and are malicious, malicious and wouldn't conform to these laws anyway. So I think this is kind of po- pointless. Yeah, I mean, if you go to something like uTorrent or um, Azure, uh, Vuz, like, yeah, had a second thinking of the um, new name. Mm-hmm. But if you go to sites like those, they're pretty upfront about the fact that, hey, this is peer-to-peer software. You can use it to go get torrents or whatever. This is kind of how BitTorrent works. And right. is... what, what folder do you want downloaded? What folder do you want shared? Yeah. I mean, so most of the peer-to-peer software is pretty obvious about this. And even for whatever rogue software that's like maybe some lesser-known BitTorrent client or something that doesn't specifically say that, all they're pretty much basically going to have to do, from what I can tell, is just make a quick change in their EULA to say, hey, this is peer-to-peer software where other people can get your stuff. Mm-hmm. Or the stuff that you share, anyway. Yeah, this is coming strict out of ignorance of saying, P2P is evil and it's growing, we need must stop it. Because some people, you know, click next without reading the screen. Mm-hmm. Well, there's tons of different legitimate things that use peer-to-peer stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh... Juiced used to use P2P. Yeah, Juiced. I think Microsoft does for some stuff. Right, Miro. Uh, yeah, Miro. And I believe in one of the Microsoft development frameworks, it has support for peer-to-peer stuff as well. Right. And even like Vues and stuff, they're, they have a whole entertainment portal where you can get stuff for them, from them where they're kind of like a content provider. Right. So it's not like this is strictly a lot of game. You, huh? A lot of game. A lot of game patches also. Yeah, there's a lot of gaming companies that, for the sake of saving on bandwidth costs and and stuff, that they'll do stuff with peer to peer. And even the ones that don't, personally, I almost prefer to get my uh, patches through peer to peer because a lot of times it tends to be faster, and I don't have to go through all kinds of logging in at different places and waiting in line to download a patch and all and just all the headaches that go around patching games when I can just jump on the pirate bay, make sure it's a legitimate file and download it from there. Yeah. So everyone contact uh, Senator Amy uh, Clotcher from uh, she's a Democrat from Minnesota and let her know what you're thinking. Yeah. Contact your congressman. I'm not sure a good website to do that at. I know they're around. But just contact your congressman. Tell them to vote no on this. Yes. But, yeah, she. there's two senators that are pushing it through. Her, which I'm not going to even try to pronounce her last name, and John Thune of Thune. South Dakota. Yeah. But speaking of piracy and related issues, there is a new form of anti-piracy that's going on, basically kind of like a DRM for video games that's saying that if you want to play them, you have to be online at all times. And unfortunately, this seems to be catching on a fair bit. Yeah, basically it's a ping for any time you save a game or you want to retrieve a saved game. It has to go through the company or the, uh, the game company server. So uh, if you choose to value saving your progress, uh, there's, sure, there's probably no way around this. That being said, when I was thinking about the problem with the original Xbox Live being shut down, mm-hmm. I was thinking about, um, do you remember host files? You could edit a file um, saying, basically, if you route whatever this uh, request is to this specific IP address. 
if you had a host file that says, hey, I know the server is, is at this network location, mm -hmm. you can make a host file and send that data, that data stream, to any system you want on a network. So you can come up, if you have your own game server, it being a virtual machine or a physical box outside your computer, you could use that to circumvent this system if you're able to emulate the same functions as that server. And if uh, the communication's unencrypted, mm -hmm. you, could, you, could, you could sniff that out and probably recreate your own game server if you wanted. Yeah, I know there's a number of people that run like open WoW servers and stuff that way so they can get around paying the 13 bucks a month or whatever. But in this particular case, it's Ubisoft and their Assassin's Creed 2 is what they're talking about. And as I and as, unless they've changed their mind, which I hope they have, uh, EA is doing the same thing with the new Command and Conquer 4 that's getting ready to come out mm -hmm. in like the next couple of weeks next couple of weeks, next month, give or take. Um, they're doing the same thing as to where you have to be online at all times. And for most people, that's just kind of an inconvenience that you have to be connected. And if you're ever traveling and you want to play a game when you're sitting in the airport or whatever and you don't want to pay 10 bucks to sit on the Wi-Fi or whatever, it can be a real pain in the butt. But what really gets me, and this is what really annoys me the most about this, is that... This really hurts the soldiers and stuff overseas where mm. they don't have good internet in a lot of places. When they do have, when they are able to get internet, um, there's a story on Ars Technica last week about this exact thing where soldiers have to pay like 150 bucks a month for a 192K connection. And that, and doing anything on that small of a connection's just about impossible anyway. Right. But and when you're trying to do gaming and stuff that with games like this it's kinda of pointless. And not allowing the military to play newer games just because it's they have they don't have a good internet connection is just wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, this is gonna come back and and bite them. I mean, what this is going to do is just give more power, especially with, like we were talking about the iPhone and how easy it is to develop games for it, and even other open platforms. People are just going to just make their own games that are, are maybe that not rival them in quality, but probably uh, and immerse and immersion, but probably at least in playability and entertainment value. And people just think it's not worth it to to go through this crap, and they're just going to lose customers. Yeah. Speaking of that, I did see a story today where apparently Activision shut down uh, a group of fans that was basically making a sequel to an old game from a company that Activision bought out, hmm. which Activision said apparently the company that they bought out had licensed the game and stuff to this group of fans to develop a sequel for it as long as they could see the game before they put it out and give the okay and everything Activision said that when they bought out this company that they would honor any existing licensing agreements but they wouldn't open up any new ones with fans well now they just went and shut down the group of fans creating the game anyway yeah so, oh and also um, coming back to the story like we were talking about the whole the original Xbox that means when they, even though just, these could be single player, singer, single player games, when they shut down and decide not to do the upkeep on the server side, those games are no longer going to work. Right. Uh, and also, um, there's going to be an incident where most of their games are going to use this service to the point it's going to overload their servers. So there's going to be downtime, and people won't be able to play, period. Yeah, I don't know about Assassin's Creed 2, and I, I, if I remember right, with Command and Conquer 4, I believe there was talk of having this be the, like the DRM or whatever for the first year or something like that, or basically in the period where the most number of copies of the game are going to be sold, and then after that, or when they get to the point where they're going to say, okay, we're not going to support the game anymore, they'll release a patch that basically disables this or other DRM, so that way... If you if 
if you want to go and play the game ten years from now, you can still play it. Okay. Which, eh, we'll see. Then that wouldn't be as bad, but it's still real annoying. But, anyway, speaking of peer-to-peer and stuff like that, apparently peer-to-peer use is actually down, but 24 million people, fewer million fewer people have bought music in 2009 compared to 2007. Uh, yes, and um, there's a major thing that happened between now and then, and it was called a global recession. So I can understand how uh, people will be less reluctant to spend money on a luxury that might be music. Yeah, this kind of doesn't really surprise me all that much. The the number, um, the amount, the 24 million fewer kind of is a little bit large, I think. Mm-hmm. And the fact that peer to peer is down makes some ex- makes some sense in some cases and it doesn't in others. But I think the more you'll have more people using things like iTunes and stuff like that, that's going to continue to drop as long as you have more devices that people listen to their music on tied to stuff like iTunes. Right. Where it's just one convenient experience. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to bow out here. Alrighty. Uh, all right. And I guess I shall finish up the rest of this so- show solo, as we still have a couple more stories, plus we still have all of our links or tips of the week, too. All right. Uh, so I apologize to the listeners. Uh, have a personal emergency here at home. Emergency here at home. Uh, do me a favor, though. Um, what I'm looking for is uh, if you can give uh, guys give us feedback. Uh, on the comments to this show, uh, I will be reading those later, and uh, we'd like to talk about them in the next show we have. So please leave comments. Yes, and have a good night, and hopefully your issues will not be too bad and solve themselves. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Uh, hope you feel better. Yeah, you too. See ya. All right, bye. Okay, back to wherever we were before Wesley had to, unfortunately drop out on us, but that's alright. We will see him again next week. But anyway, back to the uh, peer-to-peer use down 24 million fewer people bought music last year compared to 07 story. Um, But yeah, like I was saying, I think it's all about the all-in-one experience like Apple has with the iPod and iTunes and the Zoom, and Microsoft has with the Zoom and the Zoom Marketplace and stuff like that. I think the more we see that, the more we're going to see peer-to-peer use drop and but even then I think the it appears that like the RAA and the music industry as a whole seems to still be in a little bit of a panic because while digital downloads are certainly up they're not at the point yet where they're offsetting the drop in physical CD sales which of course I think there's numerous reasons for that one being the lack of real original music for a large part of it. Um, I think part of it's the fact that you don't that the music industry doesn't have an outlet like MTV does to promote stuff like they did ten years ago. I there's I don't think a lot of people listen to radio like they used to, especially now with a huge number of streaming services where you essentially stream what you want and you don't have to deal with 20 minutes of commercials every hour or so or whatever the rate is on radio. I I actually heard the rate earlier today and I don't remember what it is off the top of my head but I think it's somewhere close to that number. But all those combined are kind of why the MP3 sales haven't really picked up as much as they should. And and of course peer-to-peer is a part of it as well. And there is one other thing that I think is a very big part of it, and that's the fact that you've basically got music going back hundreds of years, if you're like going back to like classical composers and whatever, and you can only put so much music on your iPods and stuff and still have time to listen to it. I mean, I've got, I don't know how many thousands of tracks on my iPods and my Zunes and all the other devices that I have 
laying around here that can play MP3s, my PSP, my Kindle, you name it. Um, as, for as much time as I have in the day to listen to music, I have more music than that. I, I, there's no way I can possibly listen to all the music that I have, period. Rather less listen to all my music, all my podcasts, all my audio books that I get from Audible and everything else. And so I really have no reason to go out and buy much in the way of new music. And a lot of the bands that I used to like have broken up and stuff over the years. So I don't, I haven't much found in very many new bands to kind of offset that. So I think that's a very big part of it as well. I think it's just kind of all like the perfect storm just about that's just kind of coming together to keep the sales low. Now the next story really kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, Apparently Apple has found out that they are employing some child workers in some of its plants. Apparently they work with a bunch of different manufacturers and stuff around the world for putting together things like their Macs, their iPods, their iPhones, and stuff like that. Well, apparently there's been employers of or these some of these little production companies that put these things together. Apparently they've been like falsifying records and stuff saying that they've got like 11 workers that are age or that are actually age 15 when the minimum worker age is 16 so they actually have like child labor going on and all kinds of other stuff that they're these companies are trying to hide and apparently Apple does I guess like yearly audits or something like that on these different companies which apparently 102 companies this year up compared to 83 last year and this spans the US, China, the Czech Republic, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, and Thailand. But I'm kind of surprised that Apple doesn't keep a tighter rein as for what's going on. I mean, a yearly audit for what all is going on in the different plants is nice, but for something like this, you'd think you'd be paying a whole lot more attention that you're so that you're not hiring 15-year-olds. I don't know. Maybe it's Maybe they're just so big that they can't pay attention to little things like that. But apparently they've found 17 violations of their core principles underlying their supplier code of conduct with these 102 different companies. Not not that all 102 were violating them, but that's how many violations they found across the 102. And that's including the whole um, child worker stuff. But there is also a big story that seems to have caught news headlines everywhere. Apparently, around, oh, I guess it's essentially midnight, March 1st or whatever, PlayStation 3s everywhere started to experience all kinds of errors. Trophies weren't syncing. Uh, PlayStation 3s weren't connecting to the PlayStation Network. You you could lose a bunch of data, especially if you tried to play games and where you'd earn trophies, and then they wouldn't go back and sync and all kinds of stuff. Well, apparently they kind of suffered from a bit of like a Y2K kind of glitch. Basically, from what I can tell, it seems to be very similar to the one that the Zoom suffered. What was it last year or the year before? Essentially, what happened was with the um, PS3 Fats, the um, original PlayStation 3s, not the PlayStation 3 Slims, apparently they've got some sort of an issue in whatever chip that they have that measures, that essentially runs the clock for the device. Well, apparently, it must there must have been some kind of glitch in there regarding... Apparently it must have thought there was a February 29th or something in 2010 when there's not. And apparently that must have caused an issue where for 24 hours you couldn't connect to the network because apparently there's also a number of people reporting that there was... their PS3s were setting themselves back to like January 1st, 2000 and all kinds of 
weird, strange activity. And this ended up causing a big thing, because a lot of times... And I don't know, I, I can't say for sure that this is the particular case here, but in a lot of devices, at least in the past, um, when they go to connect to something on the network, if their timing isn't within a certain range of what is on the server end of things, so say I'm on a, say I go to connect something to a service on the internet and my clock is like three days off of what they have up there, it wouldn't connect or something, or something to that effect. I know back in the days when I used to have dial-up, there were times when we'd have internet connection issues, and one of the things that the tech support would say to always make sure of was that your clock was set to the right time, because if it was off by X amount, you wouldn't be able to call into the internet, essentially. And I've got a feeling that that's essentially what has happened here as to where this has been a 24-hour bug. I was actually online with my PlayStation when this occurred, and I noticed that there came up a thing, some kind of an error thing. I wasn't really doing any games or anything. I was actually just using the browser to watch the recording of Twit Live, but I was online when it happened, and and at the time I didn't really think anything of it. I thought, ah, oh, maybe the service just dropped out for a second or whatever. It wasn't until a little bit afterwards when I turned it off and got looking, got to looking on the internet that all these people are saying, oh no, the, Playsta- the PlayStation network's down, the PlayStation network's down, your PS3's gonna lose data, and all kinds of stuff. And for the longest time, Sony didn't say anything about it until kind of this afternoon, or, well, maybe it was this morning when they finally said, okay, this has something to do with the timing chip, we're still kind of looking into it, but it should, but we should have it fixed within 24 hours. In other words, wait 24 hours after this started and it'll fix itself. But, because if you're not on a PlayStation Network, it's kind of hard to update the firmware on the PS3 to fix it on your end. So, basically it's probably a good thing that it did, did fix itself, which when the clock rolled over to the next day today it magically fixed itself but anyway that would be all of the stories for this week um, like I said if you want to follow any of the stories you can um, go back read through those I especially recommend the ones where we talk about lots of statistics and stuff like the um, survey for Americans, where they get their news and stuff like that. There's some really good information in there. Check that out, link out on the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And before we get into the tips of the week, there's a little something that I wanted to address, and Wesley kind of hinted to it on his way out, that we need your feedback. I don't know what has happened, but over the last three episodes, we've lost around two-thirds of our audience. I don't... I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know if it's... Everybody's just kind of like mass unsubscribing, if we've had some really bad shows lately or what. I don't understand it. And I haven't heard from very many of you to have any idea of what's going on. So if you could send us your feedback on the show, suggestions for saying what we're doing wrong, suggestions for what we should be doing, do you want to see more guests... Do you want us to completely overhaul the show, um, have a few more features in it, do a few less stories, a few more stories, a few more tips, a few less tips? What do you want to see out of the show? What do you want out of the show? Leave them in the comments on globalgeeknews.com, or you can send them to me personally, pcnerd37 at gmail, or at, at globalgeeknews.com, excuse me. Um, you can also... Send them to at Global Geek News on Twitter, or you can send them to at PCNerd37 on Twitter. Or if you want to just send them to Wesley, you can send them to at Wesley83 on Twitter. It doesn't really matter which one of us you send them to, we'll share them amongst each other and we'll see what we can do to make the show better. I know I've been meaning to get more guests on the show lately because I always enjoy those, tend to enjoy those shows more. So hopefully we will be doing a little bit more of that, but please send us your suggestions and tell your friends about us 
and your friends, your family, whenever we post a show, share about, post the link to it on Twitter, on Facebook, on MySpace, send it to everybody in your email, whatever. But essentially, here's what it breaks down to. If our numbers don't improve, like at least into the neighborhood of what they were, by, um, I'm going to say mid-April or so, just because week after next, there probably won't be a show since Wesley will be at um, South by Southwest and I'll be at Mix. I will try and do some special stuff from Mix, but that's beside the point. But if we don't see an improvement by, say, mid-April, I really see no reason to continue the show. As far as I'm concerned, I've spent I don't know how many hundreds of dollars invested into the show between the hosting, the domain names, and everything. And for those of you that haven't heard, domain names, I believe, starting like the 1st of April or something like that, are the prices for them are going up, I believe, like 7% for .com names and 10% for... Dot org names or is it dot net names? I don't I don't remember. I believe Go it was GoDaddy that sent me the notification that ICANN is raising their fees for domain names, and if they're increasing them, that's even more money I have to spend. And if I'm and if we're not getting any donations, which you can do at globalgeeknews.com/donations, or you can sign up for the five dollar a month plan with the PayPal button in the show notes. Um, if we're not getting any donations, and if our audience continues to shrink, shrink, then it no longer becomes worth my time to invest in the show. So that's just kind of where we're at right now. So if you'd like to see the show continue, then please tell everybody you know about the show, donate to the show, whatever. If you don't, and give us some suggestions. If you want to see the show die, then don't do anything, I guess. But anyway, enough of the sad and dreary stuff. Um, the tip we have uh, three tips of the week for this week. First tip is for a um, Windows app that's apparently a portable utility mute that or mute on lock that turns off your system speakers whenever you lock your computer. So that say you go to you're, you lock your computer so you can walk away and go to the bathroom because you're at work or whatever, but you don't want everybody to know that you're getting all kinds of tweet deck notifications while you're in the bathroom. So with this um, little program or whatever, which is called Mute Unlock or something like that, from Lifehacker, you can turn off the audio when you lock your computer. Nice little handy feature, especially if you're in a working environment, stuff like that, where it tends to matter a little bit more. But again, that one's in the one, just the first tip of the week. The second is how to get more traffic to your blog. Basically, there's eight different tips ranging from how to get your blog on search engines to submitting it to places like Dig, StumbleUpon, Reddit. Airport, Technorati, um, doing link ex- link exchanges with other bloggers, guest posting on blogs, um, participating in forums, announcing new blog posts on your social networks like Facebook, Friendster, MySpace, Twitter, that kind of thing, and emailing your friends when whenever you happen to have something new go up that they'd be interested in. All kinds of different tips. Make sure to check that out as well. And the last one comes from Daily Blog Tips, which if you haven't subscribed to their RSS, you really should, especially if you're a blogger. The stuff that they have is just priceless. But this week they have five simple ways to find your passion and take your blog from zero to hero. And they talk about different things like the elimination method, money the whole idea of money, your feelings, taking action, feedback, stuff like that. Just different things you kind of need to consider when you're doing a blog. Definitely check that out and check out all the content that they have to offer. They have some really amazing stuff. They've got, I don't know how many, 
they've got like 40, some 40,000 plus subscribers, so you know they're kind of worth the content that they offer. But anyway, that is our show for this week, and actually we're right about on time. So anyway, for Wesley Faulkner, who's off helping, doing has apparently a family situation... I am Jeremy Bray. You've been listening to the Global Geek News Podcast. Don't forget to check us out, globalgeeknews.com. Add us on Twitter. He's Wesley83. I am at Global Geek News and at PCNerd37. Don't forget, leave us a comment, and we will see you next week. Later. <laughs>